Hi guys, uh, welcome to the Higher Points, and uh, today we have a special guest on. This is uh, Amy Reed, correct? Is that how yes. Name? Okay, she is the er, the president of the Kansas Cannabis Coalition, and we are going to be discussing a little bit about her motivations in the cannabis industry, um, some of our motivations as uh, the Kansas Cannabis Coalition, and um, just want to spread some general knowledge about cannabis and um, what medical can do and how it can help people. So, um, Amy, you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on today, Nate. I grew up in Valley Center, Kansas, so I've been a Kansas resident all my life and um, became a registered nurse more than 30 years ago. And so I have a passion for patients and a passion for for wellness, and I'm thrilled to be here today. So I guess with that being said, like, how does that transfer over to your wanting and your motivation in the cannabis industry, and how did that bring you to where you're at today, I guess? Great question. So I never thought I would be where I am today as the president of a a cannabis coalition, but there's a story behind all of that, and the story is that I had an aunt that was very dear to me, And uh, she lived out of state, but she would come into Kansas and stay with me once a month when she had radiation treatments. And every month that she came, she was pulled up in a bedroom with all of the lights off, the doors closed. She was in severe pain. She had no desire to eat. And she was just miserable, basically. So her quality of life was not good. So she did that for a couple of months. And the third month she came and stayed with me and she was completely different. (laughs) I mean, she was happy. She was eating. She had no pain. I asked my mom, I said, mom, what is going on with Aunt Pat? She's completely different. And my mom shared with me that my aunt started using medical cannabis. And um, she would have been the last person I would have ever expected to use cannabis. So I had a discussion with her and said, you know, how has this made a difference? And she said, well, I can live again. And we told stories and we laughed and we joked. And from that visit forward, we had just wonderful, wonderful memories made. And um, she didn't survive the cancer, which we knew she wouldn't in the first place. But the fact that she could live the last months of her life with less pain, less anxiety, able to eat and able to you know, visit with her family just meant the world to me. So I decided to start looking into it. And the more I looked into it, the more interested I became. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s where the war on drugs was all we heard. And you would see these commercials on television where they have, you know, the frying pan and the egg and (laughs) this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. So that's how I grew up and that's all I knew. So I just knew it was bad. But the more I read and the more research I did, I joined some national cannabis nurses organizations and learned even more. The more I realized that this plant is medicine and it's not a drug. It shouldn't even be listed as a Schedule One drug. You know, that it's with LSD and uh, methamphetamines and all of these horrible uh, street drugs. And it's labeled as that same category. And um, I just felt the need to advocate for a change. I mean, those are all pretty good reasons. Honestly, like that's a little bit the same reason my I got into it. Um, my mom, <clears throat> she actually had rheumatoid arthritis 
and it wasn't medical cannabis. It was just CBD that she was using, but she was able, like, we took a vacation, oh, my senior year of high school, and my mom thought she was going to be disabled, and so, you know, that we took a vacation and took 10 days, went to Florida, and my mom thought that was her last vacation, and then she started using CBD, and she's back to living a normal life again. So cannabis, it is a medicine, and it can help, and it is amazing what this plant can do, so... Absolutely. There's so many different components of the plant that benefit different disease states. And and sometimes CBD is the best solution. Sometimes a combination of CBD and THC together make the best solution. And it just depends on the patient and it depends on the what they're trying to treat. Mm-hmm. Is that why you're advocating for more of the medical side as far as like an informed decision with it? Absolutely. I just feel like patients should have the right to all modalities and treatments. And this is definitely one. What What's sad in the U.S. is because it's a Schedule One drug, you can't do research on it. Right. And that's what we keep hearing over and over. Well, the research isn't there. We don't know if it works. The research hasn't been done. And it has been done. It's just been done in other countries. And the United States government has been funding research in Israel for like 50 years or something for quite some time. So they know that it's beneficial. But what's really exciting is the things that are going on at the federal level. And if we we can make some changes at the federal level, we can have more research. And when that happens, it's, it's, it's going to be major breakthrough after breakthrough. So do super you, excited. Sorry. Do you, do you feel like it's a domino effect as far as if the federal government be pressured more if they see more states that are going medical that it'll kind of domino and then the federal government won't have a choice at that point or is that what the hope is or absolutely and we're we're already there i mean there's 37 states that that have legalization in one aspect or another and the senators the federal senators that are uh, supporting bills right now are saying the time is now you know we we need to make the change because all the states are making these changes so I guess, how did you come to the coalition? Is it something that you made or were you asked to like, how, how, how did that happen? So this is a long answer and I'll try to cut it short. <laughs> hey, we, the, the beauty of a podcast is we could be here for eight hours if you want to be. <laughs> okay. So, um, two legislative sessions ago. So in the 2020 legislative session, a group of people who are, some are part of organizations, for exam, example, Kansas Normal, some were just individuals. Some of us were cannabis nurses. And we all got together through a mutual friend who's been an advocate for many, many years. And we started talking. And then as things started picking up last year, when Bill was in committee on the House side, we started having weekly conference calls or Zoom calls. And we would talk about what people are seeing in, at the state house. Um, there were some lobbyists in our group. And they would fill us in on what's going on at the state house and what's in the bill and what they're trying to add to the bill. And we started talking about it and we started building credibility with the lawmakers. Uh, last year, Kansas made history in 2021, a bill, a medical cannabis bill passed the Kansas House of Representatives, and that's never happened before. And we were proud to be a part of that. In fact, on the floor, Representative Garber said to the chairman of the committee, Representative Barker, he presented amendments that we had looked through and said, yes, this looks good. This looks not so good. And, And so we worked with them. And Barker said to him, 
has this been vetted through the coalition? And when he said that, we all were like, oh my gosh, (laughs) they know who we are. They respect us. They see us as a credible source. And so we decided to formalize. So we formalized into a 501c4 nonprofit organization in June of 2021 and have continued to have our weekly phone calls and our Zoom calls and started looking at, okay, it's made it past the House. Now we have to get through the Senate, which is going to be more difficult. And started strategizing, started trying to raise money to fund lobbying efforts. I was never in politics before, so this was all new to me. But you you have to have that time with legislators to explain your stance and, and to justify your your points of view. And that's not easy. I mean, it honestly takes time, say, going to dinner or meeting for coffee. And all of that costs money. And we're all volunteers in our group. So right now, our our biggest push is is to try to raise funds to pay for our legislative lobbying next session. But once a bill passes, our work is not done. We all know that we won't have the perfect bill the first time around. There's just too many variables. And and there's a lot of conservative thoughts. So uh, we'll continue to advocate in the future for better bills. We also, part of our mission statement is criminal justice reform. We feel like that needs to happen immediately after a bill's passed and get some people out of prison that for minor cannabis possession offenses. And so we've got a long road ahead. Who makes up the coalition? Like who are some of the members of that? So we have um, three cannabis nurses. We have some business owners, uh, CBD business owners. We have representatives from Kansas Normal, uh, which is a pro-cannabis reform organization. And we have some patients. We have some lobbyists, a couple of lobbyists that work with us. Uh, We also have an advisory council that we utilize from time to time, and these are just specialists in different aspects. For example, uh, one of our advisors is Kelly Ripple, and Kelly Ripple is very well known in the hemp industry, and he helped create bills and and promote the industry of industrial hemp. We have others who have been advocates for many, many years, and, and, and patient advocates specifically. We have a few people who... um who aren't in the industry, but want to get into the industry and um, have just done a lot of research. So former U.S. District Attorney Barry Grissom is a person on our on our advisory council. He does a lot of work at the federal level on criminal justice reform. So we reach out to him on issues related to that. But it's a group of about 50, but there's about 10 to 20 of us that are part of the board or advisory council that are the ones that meet more regularly. So if you had your choice of what your idea of the perfect cannabis bill would be, what what would some of those elements be? <laughs> well, for me, the big focus is patient access and supporting our local businesses and also the farmers of Kansas. We're a very rural community, so that makes it difficult for patient access in general. So in order to gain good patient access, we need to have reasonable licensing fees. The benefit of being one of the last states in the country to have legalization is that we can look at all the other states and see what they did good and what they did bad. And and that really is a true benefit. I mean, they've they talked about having a pilot program in Kansas, and we said, we don't need it. Everybody's done it already. We can see what they've done. We're, we're advocating for low licensing fees 
or we'll say reasonable licensing fees because you can go too low. And we've seen that happen in other states and it's really turned into a bad industry. So reasonable licensing fees, we want good patient access. uh, So the ability, it needs to be affordable. And for it to be affordable, you have to have, again, the low licensing or reasonable licensing fees. Patient access, we want farmers to be able to grow. You know, farmers in Kansas are struggling, and this is another option for them. So we want it accessible for farmers to, to join the industry. We want an open market. So other, other states have had capped markets, which has turned into a lot of corruption. You've maybe seen in Missouri, they have the state is dealing with a lot of lawsuits because they had a pick and choose type of system where where it was points that you accrued. It wasn't a fair process and it wasn't, there's a lot of questions as to how some people got licenses and others didn't. So an open market resolves all of that. And again, it increases patient access, which is what we keep coming back to. What are some of the, I guess, the negative things you saw in some other states that maybe we could learn from and, and maybe apply to a bill? So in, um, in Oklahoma, for example, uh, their licensing fees are extremely low, like $2,500, which you would think that's a great thing. But what has happened is that everybody and their uncle has, has bought licenses and <laughs> there's, there's too much product and not enough sales to support that, which brings the price of the product so low that the industry fails. So that was that's one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, there's, for example, Missouri, where they're picking and choosing which, which ones get licenses. And ma and pa stores, which we highly support, were left out of the mix. And, and other large corporations who already exist, say, in the alcohol industry, were, were granted several licenses. So again, an open system would prevent that. There are some states that decided we aren't going to do things like candies and gummies and stuff like that because of, let's face it, you know, with pill bottles, they've got, you know, just your prescription medications they got where kiddos can't get into them and stuff. And mm-hmm. kiddos see candy and it's like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of this. And so now they have that access. So is that, what does that look like as far as in your mind's eye with that? I mean, are, are you advocating for like, it could, should be put into whatever you want or, you know, should we maybe kind of maybe not do candies and things and maybe do other products so that we can maybe protect kiddos or so whatever. I mean, I'm just curious of what your thought process is there. That's actually a really great question because some people, for example, patients who have lung disease, you know, we, we certainly don't gummies is a really good way for them to medicate. And so we don't want to take that away from them, but we do need to protect the children just like we would if their parents are taking opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is written into the bill that uh, is sitting at, in the Senate now that um, certain packaging restrictions, like you can't have dancing bears <laughs> on the package, um, and, and the gummies themselves can't be like animals. So it's getting really specific about trying to prevent children yeah. from having access to Yeah, it. so basically you're just kind of trying to balance the best of both worlds, right. like we're you know, like you're talking about, there's no perfect bill. There's no perfect way to do this, but we can maybe make some common sense decisions based on that. Like I'd never, again, what you do is not my wheelhouse and I'd never considered, okay, if you have lung issues, you probably don't want to be inhaling something. And I was like, oh, well now that she said that, duh, like <laughs> that makes perfect sense. You know, I know on like a uh, CBD right now, like smokable bud is a big issue for us. Like we can't sell our smokable bud that we grow on our farm in our store. 
Is that something we're going to, for this medical bill, is that to where there's going to be smokable bud in Kansas, or is that something there's not going to be? So right now the, ba- the bill says uh, no vaping or inhalation. We did try to fight that. I don't see that changing the first round. It may be the second or third round. And you have to remember, it takes over a year to create a program. So even if it gets legal, this legislative session, which we are very hopeful for, it's still going to take a year plus, maybe a year and a half for us to create all of the requirements for licensing and uh, inspections for, for cultivators, all of that. So it'll take some time. I would love to put put that back into the bill at some point because, again, patience. Inhalation is the quickest way to get the cannabinoids into your system. And if you're in extreme pain or maybe you have a significant social anxiety disorder, different things like that where you need immediate relief, uh, seizures, for example, immediate relief, that's the quickest way to get it into the system. So we won't quit on that. That'll continue to be a fight, but it won't most likely happen the first time around. Yeah. I guess the, the, really the bill that I guess I followed and stuff was concealed carry. Cause that's the thing that I am a proponent of what well, kind of started with a lot of things that people didn't want mm-hmm. as far as like, you couldn't carry here and here and here and here and here and here. And it was like really restrictive. Mm-hmm. Like we'll give you this license, but it was really restrictive. Whereas, and then now it's basically through legislative sessions. Mm-hmm. We now have, you know, constitutional carry, we don't have to get the license. You can just basically carry the gun and carry it anywhere kind of thing. And so I think that's kind of, is that the process that you're looking at as far as like, we at least need to make some sort of a progress. Like we realize that there are concessions that need to be made, but we're not going to stop law. Like once this is passed, like our job's not done. We're going to keep going. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good analogy because it is very similar to that. And, and there are things that, uh, Kansas is a very conservative state, and um, we don't have a ballot initiative in Kansas, which is how cannabis bills have passed in a lot of the other states. And what that means is we can't just pass around a petition and get so many signatures, and it's automatically put on a bill to vote. So we can't do that in Kansas, which has really hindered our efforts for legalization. And we have to we have to rely on our legislators to uh, become educated and make the decisions. You know, when, when I first got into politics, I was like, why can't they see this? Why don't they understand? And as I spent some time in the Capitol, I realized they have so many different things that they have to understand. I mean, from taxes to education to medical, all of these things. And, and it's tough to make the right decisions every time when you don't know all the facts. So our goal is to just continue to educate and over time we will have the right bill. It'll just take a little longer. Yeah. It's lots of irons in the fire for them. I mean, they're not just voting on just cannabis issues. They're voting on literally every single facet of, you know, what it takes to run Kansas. Right. And people get frustrated. I mean, you see it on social media. It's like, why don't they get it? And and I felt that way until I, I got to know some. We have some very supportive legislators in the state house, which I'm so fortunate for. And and those that are maybe borderline, some of them are changing. I've had three different representatives and senators come to me and say, five, 10 years ago, I would have absolutely been against it. And now they're some of our biggest advocates. And a lot of it is those patient stories. You know, Nate talked about his mother. I talked about my aunt. And they'll tell me stories. They have a family member. 
and they want them to be able to utilize or they did utilize in another state and they now see the benefits. So it's ongoing education and, and it's getting better. So because of them having so many irons in the fire, that's what leads to you having expenses because you're having to really work hard to get their time to be able to advocate for this. So if there are people that are listening to this podcast, how would they get in touch with the coalition or donate money to the coalition so that, that you know, they can maybe help those, those advocations and at the, at the state level? Absolutely. And, and we do, like I said, we're all volunteers. So the money that we do raise as the coalition, probably 95% of that goes towards those, those lobbying efforts. And we do things, for example, we're, we're trying to put together a lunch and learn at the Capitol um, for the second week of session. Session starts January 10th. And the lunch and learn, you know, that we'll invite the senators and representatives into a room, allow them to ask questions. Uh, we may do a presentation and we'll feed them. Well, food costs money. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's exactly right. So if, if people want to donate, you go to www.kansascannabiscoalition.org and you'll see a, a donate button hit the donate button. You can donate as much as, as you'd like. Um, if you donate a minimum of $30, you become a member and we'll keep you informed on the latest, latest legislative updates. If you donate $55 or more, you get a free t-shirt, which is super cool. (laughs) Love our logo. We're, you know, piece by piece, little by little, we're, we're, we're gaining the momentum. We've reached out to some, some other potential sponsors that may help support those costs. But um, right now we're just winging it. <laughs> so you said 501c4? Yes. Normally you hear C3. What's what's the main difference there? Great question. So the C4, the only difference is uh, lobbying. Oh, okay. Yeah. So does that mean that any donation you make is also tax write-off the same way it would be for a 501c3 organization then? It is not a tax write-off. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I was just asking, you know, yeah. uh, just curious. It would be nice, <laughs> but we have to lobby. So we had to go with the C4. <laughs> so what are, what are some other things you're doing? Are you, are you doing any type of uh, Facebook ads or radio ads or anything like that? As far as the lobbying dollars, are those things that you use those dollars for to just raise awareness and stuff like that? Yes. Yes. So we're taking every opportunity we can to be on social media, to be in podcasts, to be in television, and radio commercials. Um, I did a spot last week with Inspire. And I say it's not Inspire Magazine. With Inspire, um, I guess it's a television broadcast out of Topeka. Talked a lot there. Uh, we are just starting a campaign, a 2022 legislative session startup campaign, basically. Legislation starts on January 10th. And different ads. We're doing some patient testimonials that we're putting on uh, social media, uh, some criminal justice reform testimonials, anything to raise awareness, anything to get us out in public. Well, I think what would be really awesome to have would be through this process to have you back on the podcast more to just, if you're okay with that, I mean, I'm not saying we have to, but just to kind of see how it's going and maybe ways that people can help or advocate or get a message out or maybe educate other people would be kind of cool just to see through the legislative session the legislative process and maybe kind of update people and when you say that people didn't said well why don't they just get it you know listening to this podcast it's like well they're they're doing a lot of things other than just this right you know they're not going it to work every day and just 
sitting down and talking about cannabis. They're probably talking about hundreds of things every day. Right. And cannabis this is just a like, fraction of it. Cannabis gets like 20 minutes out of their day or something. <laughs> yeah. Or probably or less. Or out of their considering week. The value, <laughs> yeah, say considering, considering those conservative values, I can see it right. not being probably high up on the priority list or or even high up on the, uh, the I guess, the money lobbying list as well. So is your feeling like at the Capitol that people are more and more accepting then that it's people are wanting it to happen in the Capitol building kind of thing then. Absolutely. Absolutely. They see, they see the medical benefits. In fact, I had a a very prominent Senator tell me, we know there's medical benefits. We get it now. Now we just want to look at what the right bill looks like and how we can utilize this to grow the economy in Kansas. And which is perfect. I mean, that's, that's something every legislator wants. They want to grow our economy. So I would love to be on again. Absolutely. It's it's changing. You know, once session starts, it, it changes weekly. What I have heard from the senators I've worked with is that it'll it's already sitting in committee right now. So the Federal and State Affairs Committee on the Senate side, that's where it sits now. So as soon as session starts January 10th, that committee will immediately take up that bill. They have other bills too. But we suspect that they'll take this up pretty early in session. And so, yeah, things will be changing on a, on a daily, weekly basis. When they do debate the bill in, in the committee, they allow testimony. And so um, that might be a good time for me to come on and say, hey, those of you who are supporters, those of you who would benefit, uh, send in your written testimonies. This is where you send them to. And, and they do read them. Yeah, I'd love to come back and talk more about it. Um, so one question I do have, so I understand the medical benefits of like CBD, CBN and stuff like that. What does, what does Delta nine bring to the table as far as, is that, is that what maybe increases the appetite as far as that kind of stuff? Like what, what does Delta nine bring to the table as far as the, the medical benefits, uh, like CBD and CBN do? You've done your research. These are some really good questions. I'm I'm (laughs) I'm a nerd. So... So, um, great question. And what happens when you connect um, other cannabinoids like CBD or CBG or CBN with THC? There's this synergistic effect. So, it, it intensifies the effects of the other cannabinoids. And, and there's different, I mean, as a cannabis nurse, you learn that there's different um, combinations that work better for different patients. For example, you can have a one-to-one ratio of THC versus CBD. So there's there's different combinations that work for different patients. And some patients, well, a lot of patients, they don't want to feel high. Mm. They just want to treat their symptoms. And you can do that. If you have higher percentages of CBD over the THC, then it counteracts the psychoactive effects of the mm-hmm. THC. So you don't feel that. So there's a lot of trial and error working with patients. It, it's not an easy process. You start low and go slow, but definitely having the, the THC in it, the whole plant, as we call it, it's cannabis nurses, is the most beneficial. Okay. Well, I, I, as, as far as that's concerned, I mean, I, I could keep going on that for hours, but I think that we can we can definitely go into that on another time as far as as far as that's concerned. We could probably do a two hour podcast on the <laughs> medical and the chemical benefits that it all. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. Nate knows a ton as well, so well, he'll, that's, he'll that's talk more on that episode. <laughs> that's where he and I nerd out on those kinds of things. You know, as far I think the 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 interesting part that I'd really like to read in the science is how 
you know, the pharmacokinetics of how it moves through the body and how it metabolizes because, you know, we have really great studies on like, say alcohol, mm-hmm. alcohol goes through this and to this, mm-hmm. to this, to this, and now it's water. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're really missing right now in the, in the cannabis realm of understanding. And, and mm-hmm. maybe you can answer that. Are there studies out there about how it metabolizes? I mean, I know there are tons of things out there that it metabolizes into like Delta nine tetrahydrocannabivirin and all those things that it, it moves through the process. Right. Are there studies about me- how it metabolizes yet? Absolutely. Um, and that is like a whole nother podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, we can nerd out on that at another time. <laughs> another thing that concerns me is just the, like how people are drug tested on it because there's so many people that have CDLs or, um, you know, are ex military that are drug tested or, just anybody that gets drug tested, you know, like they could be helped by CBD or THC and they can't use it because they'll pop out on a drug test. Yeah. And I think that's where cannabis is kind of uh, interesting comparing to other drug categories, like say opioids, mm-hmm. you know, with an opioid, there's been so many studies and so much of this and so much of that. It's like, okay, four hours, this is done. Okay. Now it's out of your system. Now it's no longer psychoactive. Now you're no longer impaired. Whereas I think that's where it kind of lacks, I guess, a little bit in because we can't, you know, study that. And you're not getting, I mean, you can study it in, say, like Colorado, but you're not going to get federal dollars to study that is, I think, the big problem. And the studies that are out there are on, you know, they dosed people with 4% THC. You know, that's like saying, here, drink this beer. And I'm going to study how you are versus drink this, like some of the cannabinoids that are out there with the high purities that they have is like, drink this bottle of Jack Daniels. And now let's study you. It's like comparing apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. It, it's just uh, interesting when you talk about that, as far as the impairment levels are concerned of, sometimes you can see some of the, the effects of the cannabis a little bit longer than say opioids and things as far as how it metabolizes out of the system. So I personally think it should be one of those things where as long as you're not coming to work impaired, just like you would with alcohol or, you know, people that supplement Xanax, don't mm-hmm. take two or three when you're prescribed one, right. don't show up to work impaired and we're good. You know, <clears throat> as long as it is a therapeutic dose right. and, you know, you're able to function and do your job, I think that's where the litmus test should be, I, me personally. But I know a lot of people don't necessarily align with that, so... I I hundred percent agree with that, and and the person that can create some sort of cognitive ability test that takes thirty seconds, thirty to forty five seconds, is going to be a rich person. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, if it's in your blood, it doesn't necessarily mean you're impaired with THC, right? Because it stays in your blood for quite a while. But if you could walk into work, clock in. And then take some sort of cognitive test to show that you're capable of handling, you know, heavy machinery or driving a truck, then you go to work. But that would catch the people that are taking opioids every day that shouldn't be driving. You know, that that happens now all the time. Oh, yeah. Super concerning. Yeah. Well, and I think that even even just a test coming to work of if you could just get it to where it wasn't schedule one, where it's literally anything other than schedule one, Yeah. then we can start to study it and we right. can start to understand it. And maybe that heavy lifting can be done. Like for instance, NHTSA did all the heavy lifting on the studies on alcohol mm-hmm. and they were able to say, these are the things to look for. These are the things to do. And like they did all that heavy lifting beforehand to where they could let people know 
that this is how it works. This is how it, you know, the, the, the pharmacodynamics and kinetics of, of all of this to where you may, maybe didn't have to do a test beforehand. You can look for general indicators. Sure. You can look for the bloodshot, watery eyes, the slurred speech, the, the gate ataxia, the, those kind of things. You can look for that kind of stuff versus, you know, putting another thing on, on to an employer that they now have to maybe do, right. you know, stuff like that. So Absolutely. Um, and we have to protect the employer's rights as well. So Yeah. So I told you I could nerd out on this. <laughs> Here <laughs> I was. Impressed. We were kind of like wrapping up and I'm just like, keep going. So. <laughs> but is, is there anything we didn't add? Anything that you want to add in or any questions that we should have asked or anything that you want to add? I don't think so. I think I just like to ask the listeners to share the can of knowledge, as we call it, and uh, help us increase awareness um, with your family, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your legislators. Anything that you can do to help share the knowledge um, will will be tremendously beneficial because we were all we were all trained that it was not a good thing, and until we understand different, that's how we're people are going to feel. So if people were wanting to reach out to you and get in touch with you, are you on social media? Like how, how would people get in contact with you? Yeah. So we, we are on Facebook and Twitter and, um, it's Kansas Cannabis Coalition. Um, we also have an email address, uh, it goes directly to me. It's Kansas Cannabis Coalition at gmail.com. So, um, I, I respond to all emails. I have a lot of questions, a lot of people offering to volunteer and support our cause and, the more the merrier. The more people we have, the louder our voice. So, Cool. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to be here today. And we're looking forward to the next time that we can have you on and have the discussion and maybe have uh, uh, that longer, you know, nerd out discussion on some things because it's something that I'm definitely very, very interested in um, and would love to know more. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the Higher Points podcast. We really appreciate it. We're really looking for some more ratings and reviews. If it's great, let us know. If there are things we need to work on, by all means, let us know that as well. Nate and I are always about that genuineness and wanting to grow and wanting to learn and have conversations with people. And uh, you can check us out on Facebook at The Higher Points. You can check us out on Instagram at The Higher Points. And our website is www.thehigherpoints.com. We appreciate your time. We'll catch up with you guys next time.